It's natural to wonder if you're going to make it when facing uncertain days. The early Christians were certainly wondering about the future. When the Roman Empire started viewing them as a threat that had to be addressed with a heavy hand. And the book of Revelation was given to assure them that if they remained faithful to Christ, they would make it. Well, last week we watched as the first six seals on the scroll taken from the hand of God by the Lamb were broken. We saw four horsemen come forth when the first four seals were broken. When we heard the voice of martyrs crying out for God to vindicate them and himself by avenging their blood at the opening of the fifth seal and a picture of the second coming of Christ as viewed by those who had fought against him at the opening of the sixth seal. Well, the intent of these visions, we concluded, was to show the woes of mankind, the woes that, that men in general and Christians in particular have to face while on earth. We saw that after Christ conquers a man's heart, some form of persecution generally follows. Persecution that includes everything from economic discrimination to actual martyrdom. We also saw that Christians are not exempt from the universal woes of mankind, that like everyone else, Christians are subject to death and sometimes violent death by the sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beast. Then, after being told that more of the same was yet to come, and given a horrifying picture of the end when men from kings to slaves will cry out for the mountains and rocks to fall on them in the hopes that they might escape from the wrath of the Lamb, we were left with a question. Who is able to stand? Well, before John is given a vision of the breaking of the seventh seal, that question is answered for him. And for us, who is able to stand? Those who be able to stand are those God protects. Revelation chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Now, this vision begins with the words, after this. And that has led many interpreters to assume that the events pictured here follow the events pictured in the last vision. But that's not necessarily the case. John says, after this I saw. 
The sequence refers to the visions, not necessarily to the events pictured in the visions. You know, John had just been given a vision of many horrible things that Christians will have to endure right up until the second coming. And heard the question, who's able to stand? This vision answers that question by explaining why Christians are able to stand. Those pictured in chapter 6 who had to face the rider on the red, black, and ashen horses, were able to do so because even before the riders rode forth, God had moved to protect them. That's what's being communicated here. This is a new vision. But the four winds about to blow on the earth, winds of destruction and winds of woe, are basically the same forces we saw pictured in the last vision. These winds, I believe, correspond to the woes brought on by the fourth rider, the sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. Now, they may include other woes and warnings and judgments yet to be pictured at the opening of the seventh seal as well, but I'm convinced they do relate to what we've already seen. This vision is showing something that preceded the events pictured in chapter 6. Something that enabled the Christians to stand and will continue to enable them to stand. As the vision opens, we see four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, obviously, that's figurative. I remember as a kid hearing a neighbor saying, the Bible teaches that the world is flat because it's got four corners. Now, that's not the point there, okay? All right. Just make that clear. The vision sees angels at the four corners of the earth holding back four winds of destruction, ready to loose them on the earth, the sea, and trees. Now, trees were probably singled out here simply to enhance the picture. We all know what violent winds do to trees. Anyway, everything is posed For the destructive activity to begin when John sees another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. This angel has in his hand a seal of the living God. And he cries out to the other angels telling them not to loose the winds until the bondservants of God have been sealed. Now a seal or a signet ring was used in times past to secure or protect or authenticate something. And that's what's about to happen here. The angel who came from the rising sun wants to mark the bondservants of God. He wants to place on their foreheads a mark that will protect them from the ravages of the destructive winds that are about to blow. Now, he doesn't remove them from the earth. So they're still going to have to go through the storms, but the seal will guarantee that the storms will not be able to destroy them. And isn't that how God protects us today? He seldom takes us out of harm's way. But he does make certain that nothing has the power to destroy us. You know, like those around us, we have to face the temporal consequences of sin in this life. We fall victim to man's violence, to hard times, to disease, and to the dangers of nature gone wild. 
But if we've been marked with the seal of God, the ultimate consequence of sin, death itself, will not be able to destroy us. We will never have to face the eternal consequences of sin. And that not only gives us hope for the future, but it gives us strength for today. It even changes the way we look at the evil that befalls us. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of another generation, expressed this truth beautifully when he wrote, It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. Ill to him is no ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. Now, we may not feel like shouting amen to that, especially while going through hard times, but ultimately the truth of it will become obvious. In fact, we have a promise in Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. Now, it doesn't say that God causes all things to happen, that if something bad happens, it must be God's will for you. No, it doesn't say that at all. That's a misrepresentation of that text. It said God causes all things to be made into something good. Whatever happens to us can be used by God to become a positive force in our life if we love him and we're called according to his purpose. God has a hand on what happens. God is still in control. And as we've seen in this vision, God will make sure that we've had adequate time to prepare to face whatever is coming our way. Now, we may not feel like we've had adequate time, but this vision assures us that God will allow nothing to happen to us before we have been made ready for it. God does protect those who love him and who've been marked, who have been identified as belonging to him. So who's been marked? What what is the seal of God and who's been sealed? Let's read on, verses 4 through 8. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Now, notice that John did not see the sealing take place. He merely heard the number of those who were sealed. And we've already been told that the bondservants of God were the ones who were going to be sealed. So what is the significance of John hearing that 144,000 
we're sealed. Now, if you've talked with someone who came knocking at your door, you may have been told that the Bible teaches that there will only be 144,000 people in the highest realms of heaven. And they will all be Jehovah's Witnesses. Others insist that Revelation teaches that there will only be 144,000 Jews in heaven. And on the surface, that does seem to have some validity because John heard that 144,000 sons of Israel were sealed, 12,000 from each tribe. However, as we've already seen, numbers in Revelation are more symbols than statistics. And the symbolism of 144,000 becomes clear with just a quick look at how some related numbers were used. Now, three is the divine number as evidenced by the Trinity. And four is the earthly number taken from the four points of the compass or the four corners of the earth. If you add three and four together, you get the sacred number seven, expressing completeness, the union of the divine with the earthly. And if you multiply them together, you get 12, which is recognized as a symbol of organized religion in the world, evidenced by 12 tribes and 12 apostles. A thousand was often used to symbolize a very long time or a very large number. And 144,000 comes from multiplying 12,000 by 12. So rather than limiting the number who were sealed, 144,000 simply indicates that a huge number, no doubt all the bondservants of God on earth, were sealed. Now, it does refer to them as the sons of Israel, and even lists 12 tribes. So does this mean only Jews were sealed? Only Jews are the bondservants of God? Well, not when you remember that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, for we are all one in him. If we belong to Christ, Paul tells us in Galatians 3.29, that we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So the church is the Israel of God today. In fact, by the time this vision was given, ten of the tribes had been long lost. And even Judah and Benjamin had lost their national identity. Another point worth noting is that the twelve tribes listed are not actually the twelve tribes we find as listed in the Old Testament. Dan doesn't even appear in the list. And while Manasseh, one of Joseph's sons, who was given an inheritance in the promised land, is specified, Ephraim, his other son, isn't. But Joseph is. And Levi, the father of the priestly tribe, which wasn't considered one of the twelve tribes when the promised land was being parceled out, is listed here among the twelve. I think it's apparent 
that this is not intended to literally teach that 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes were sealed. What's being communicated is that all of God's bondservants were sealed. They were marked as belonging to God and thus protected from the eternal consequences of the destructive forces that were about to come upon the earth. That also explains why John only heard the sealing take place. He didn't actually see it. It was taking place on earth. And his vision had already taken him to heaven. He was simply told what was taking place or had taken place on earth to prepare God's bondservants for the winds that were coming, for the woes that were about to come. The next question that arises from this vision is, what was this mark that identified God's bondservants? In the 14th chapter of Revelation, we're going to meet 144,000 again. And there we are told they have the name of the Lamb and the name of His Father written on their foreheads. Now, while that may indicate that they had Christ on their minds, that they had faith in him, it is pictured as an outwardly visible mark of identification on those who belong to the Father and Son. And the early church taught that this mark, this seal, was baptism. Now, nowhere does the Bible say that baptism is the seal of God. In fact, we are told that the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is the seal, the evidence that we belong to God, and is the pledge of our inheritance in Christ. We do learn, however, in Acts 2.38, that the gift of the Holy Spirit is tied to baptism. And in Galatians 3.27, we're told that those who have been baptized have clothed themselves with Christ. So while baptism itself probably isn't what is in view here in Revelation, baptism does serve as an identifying mark for bondservants of God. And those who are able to stand in the face of death, and who will be able to stand in the presence of God, are those who have been sealed by God as belonging to Him, and who have been clothed by him. Let's read on. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones 
who come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd. And shall guide them to springs of living water, and, guide, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. After John heard about the healing of the bondservants, or the, the sealing of the bondservants of God, he saw a great multitude which no one could count consisting of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, standing before the throne and the Lamb. This multitude was clothed in white, waving palm branches, and offering praise and worship to God and the Lamb. So who are these people? Well, I'm convinced they are those who were sealed on earth, but had since come to heaven. This is a vision of the final glory of God's bondservants. People from every ethnic group on earth standing before the throne, robed in white, and offering praises to God. Now, some interpreters disagree, insisting that this group is a second group, distinct from the first. They believe the first group consisted of the Old Testament children of Israel, and the second group... The church. I find no reason to make such a distinction. Besides, what comfort would it have been to the Christians in John's day who were undergoing persecution and who were dying for the faith to be told that God had sealed the Jews who had preceded them? Now, I'm convinced this is the same group that had been sealed, pictured in heaven now, where John can see them. And they join the hosts of heaven in singing praises to God for the gift of salvation. Then to make sure we know who they are, one of the 24 elders who sit on thrones encircling the throne of God asks John if he knows who the people clothed in white robes are and where they've come from. John simply defers to the elder and says, My Lord, you know. So the elder proceeds to tell John. He said, they are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. But still, we ask, who are they? Now, some have suggested they are the martyrs. There's really no evidence to limit them to martyrs. And others say that they are Christians who will survive the final struggle between good and evil, who go through the great tribulation. But again, what comfort would that be to the saints who are going through tribulation in John's day? I'm convinced this is a picture of all Christians who have gone through tribulation 
while living on earth. Christians who faced the woes of discrimination and persecution for their faith, as well as the temporal woes of sinful man. Besides, how could anyone suggest that Antipas, who was martyred in Pergamum, you recall, hadn't gone through a great tribulation? And didn't John identify himself in chapter 1 as a brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus? Now, this isn't a special group of believers. It's a picture of all the redeemed. Those who have gone through the trials and temptations and struggles of life and who are still acceptable to God. So how do we become acceptable to God? Is it by being good? Or going to church? Or doing penance for our sins? No. It's by washing our robes in the blood of the Lamb. We are made acceptable to God by being clothed in white. Having our sin-stained garments made white in the blood of Christ. Our works of righteousness are but filthy rags in the sight of God. That's why we must allow Him to clothe us in His righteousness. And it is possible only if we'll allow Him to wash us and make us clean. That is what enables us to stand in His presence. That is what will enable us to worship and serve Him in the heavenly temple and be sheltered by His tabernacle. And that is what gives us the privilege of entering into the joys of heaven. And we know that's what's being pictured here. Because it will only be on that day that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. When we will hunger and thirst no more. And no longer have to labor in the hot sun. That is when the Lamb will become our shepherd and lead us to springs of water of life where we will be refreshed and satisfied for all eternity. And with this truth seared into our hearts and minds, we can endure. We can endure. We can stand no matter what. If we know that God has given us the resources needed before the trials come, we can stand. If we have the assurance that we belong to God, that we've been sealed as His own possession, and that He'll not forsake us, we can stand. And if we know we've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and are therefore acceptable to a holy God, we can stand. We can take whatever the world throws at us. And we're ready for the warnings and judgments of God that will be revealed at the breaking of the seventh seal.
So in answer to the question, who is able to stand, I answer, I am. I am. What about you? What about you? Have you been given the resources of God to face whatever might come? Have you been publicly identified as belonging to Christ? Do you have the confidence that your future is secured by the blood of the Lamb? If not, you can be. And I plead with you to come and be made ready for life and for death and for life eternal. I invite you to come and to take your stand on the promises of God.